Lord, thanks again. Just pray that again, as the kids go out, that they would be blessed and hearing and uh, just having Your Spirit revealed to them. And likewise, I pray that we would allow all the many distractions of life around us uh, to be set outside these walls at this moment, that we might be here, be present now with You in that place, standing before the audience of one. I pray that this morning again, we'd allow Your Spirit and Your Spirit alone to speak to us to calm our hearts and to give us a perspective on not only who you are, but how we're to live before you today. Thank you that you are a true God that desires to be not just seeing us, but with us in the midst of everything. That today our strength is found by abiding in you. And I pray that as we open your word again, you alone by your spirit would make it real to us in Jesus name. Amen. We're going to be opening to John in chapter 19 this morning. And as we open the Word, uh, we're going to be reading about Jesus' crucifixion. And I'll read our passage for this morning, and then we'll take a moment, as I mentioned, and we're going to break it down, and I'll be able to share with you a little bit about what God has been sharing with me this past week as I've been pouring over some of these verses and passages. It says this, and I'm going to start in verse 15 as we kind of gain our context and move forward into our passage, it says, They cried out, Away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So, then handed Him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and He went out, bearing His own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, And also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopa and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been to fulfill, had been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop 
and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, as we've read our passage this morning, uh, it's quite sobering, I find, often to read of the death of Jesus. I find it interesting in some ways that as we read the Gospel of John, that there are many details not found here that we find in other Gospel accounts. And yet I'm reminded of this, that when we go to the Scriptures, often I need to look at what was the intent of the original author as he was writing this letter. And it was not to give every single detail. And we can think back to what was said on the cross between Jesus and those crucified beside Him. We can think of some of the other things that perhaps we've read and see. But remember all the way back to when we began in the Gospel of John. John used a word that is unique to the Gospel of John. And that was Jesus performed many Signs, and that word signs, as I've mentioned to you before, meant attesting miracles. John was not interested in giving every single detail, every word that was said, every deed that was done. John's purpose as he was writing this letter was that he might clearly show the signs, the attesting miracles, and the things that Jesus did that proved that he was the Messiah that they had all been waiting for. That when people read this letter, they would see that he fulfilled the scriptures in every way. He could have written many more things, but chose to write the things that were so important for us to know. That when God had promised a Savior so long before, that Jesus fulfilled it all. What was taking place before them was the death of a lamb that God had prepared far before. And even though the Jews were vying to steer the narrative, right? When they went to Pilate and he had put up the sign that said, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. No, they wanted it to say, He said I am the King, right? They, they wanted to proclaim their message, their idea or ideology of what was going on. God wouldn't allow it. In that public place, just outside the city, where so many would pass, written in Hebrew or Aramaic, Latin and in Greek, that all might know, all might know, the true King of the Jews was there before them. This was the King, the Seed, the Messiah, that, in, that had been prophesied, dating all the way back to the beginning of creation in Genesis in chapter 3. Remember when man and woman sinned in the garden and God handed down the curses, the repercussions of that sin and their separation. And He said the man was going to now till and reap thorns from the ground and the woman would have pain in childbirth. But He turned to the serpent and said, On your belly shall you crawl and dust shall you eat. But He said one day there will be enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. 
And in Genesis 3, God would prophesy and say this, You will bruise His heel, but He shall, what? Crush your head. What we've read this morning is the bruising of the heel of the seed of the woman. That the one who would come and what we will see is the crushing of the head. What will happen. But first there needed to be a bruising. Only a bruising. Why? Because this death would not hold him. This was a, a temporary affliction. This was a sacrifice that had not only been preordained from the beginning there and then, but a lamb. I love to look back and see how incredibly God pieced it all together. I was reading this week in Genesis in chapter 22, and I want to remind you of this, because as I was reading, I was also looking at a map of Jesus walking through Jerusalem leading up to His crucifixion. And in my readings in Genesis, I was reminded of this when Abraham was asked to offer his own son. And I want you to hear these words. It came about after those things. After Abraham, remember, had waited 25 years for a son promised. He had received him finally at a hundred years old. And then told, go and sacrifice him. Here was God's words to Abraham. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there the burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men, and as they journeyed to the land of Moriah to find the mountain that God would tell them. Remember Isaac's words to his father Abraham. He said, Father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. And as they went on, and they went up the mountain that God had ordained and set before them, there and then Abraham went to sacrifice his son. But when stopped by the angel, in verse 13, the angel stops him. He says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abram raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. What stands out to me is this, that the mountain that God put them and placed them on for that sacrifice in Genesis 22 was in the land of Moriah. And note this, that later in 1 Chronicles 21, David would buy 
a threshing floor for 600 shekels of silver in the mountains of Moriah. And it would be Mount Moriah that would later become the Temple Mount. And isn't it a cool picture to think of this? That the very land and mountains of Moriah that Abraham was in and on that day would be the very mountains, city now, of Jerusalem that Jesus was circling. And I love to see the fact that, remember Abraham's words? Where's the lamb? We have the wood and the fire. And he said, fear not, son. The Lord will provide his what? Lamb for the offering. But notice, after it all went down, what did Abraham find? Not a lamb, but a ram caught in the thicket. How cool to see this. That how many years later, a lamb would be found in the mountains of Moriah to take that place. You see, this sacrifice had been known had been ordained from the very beginning. God knew what must take place. And that lamb, not a ram, would be found not only to take the place of Isaac, but our place. And as we read this morning, John looking to see that it all might be shown as the signs of the One who was to come. We read this this morning that that they cast lots for His clothing. We read in John 19, verse 24, they divided My outer garments among them. For My clothing they cast lots. And notice how each time John writes, so the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Why? So the Scriptures might be fulfilled. He was going to prove in every way, in everything He did, in everything He said, that He was the One. We actually read in Psalm 22, verse 12, about those garments, and it says this, reading the words of the psalmist, Many bulls have surrounded me, Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. The psalmist goes on and writes this, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. All of this was inevitable. All of this had to be done. But in the midst of all of this, the Lord was not far off. 
The Lord was there to answer. Why? Because the Lord knew that in order to have true life in this world, there had to be a death. And if there's anything that strikes me this morning about our passage that we've read together today, it's this. That in the midst of it all, in the midst of the fulfilling of the Scriptures, the sacrifice, the insults, the pain, the beatings, at the end of it all, when Jesus saw that it had all been accomplished, it says, when he, verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus had willingly given up because he knew it would take a death for people to truly receive life. And if there's a challenge to us today, God had ordained a plan that was set before Jesus. A plan that we know that in Jesus' humanity, He would quite rather not. Lord, if it were up to me, let this cup pass before me. But a plan nonetheless that He was ready to give it all up for. Lord, Thy will be done. Because He knew what needed to be done in order to see true life given. The challenge to me this week has been this. Am I truly ready to give up? Knowing that in the midst of it all, it takes death to achieve or receive life. We've read in the Gospel of John just how many times those Jewish leaders had opportunity to give up. How many times have we read, He's performing many miracles. What are we going to do? Surely we'll lose our place if we let Him continue. Remember Caiaphas' words? Surely it is better for one man to die than for a whole nation. They weren't ready to let go of their platform. They weren't ready to go of their occupation, their religious leadership. They weren't ready to let go of it in exchange for what the Messiah was offering. They weren't ready to die to what they needed to in order to receive what they needed to. Jesus had prophesied this very thing about Himself in John 12 when He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It cannot bear fruit unless it goes into the ground and dies. Jesus gave up. He knew. He needed to let go. Last time I was with you, we briefly spoke on that what enabled Jesus to do all that He did was the fact that He had entrusted Himself to a faithful Father. In reality, true entrusting ultimately leads us to full surrendering. Jesus had fully surrendered His Spirit on the cross. 
And today, I'm challenged to ask, have I surrendered? Isaiah 30 gives an incredible depiction of my willingness to fight. It says this, listen to these words, and these have been life verses for me. Isaiah 30 and verse 15, Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, He said, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Here's God declaring, listen, rest, repent, lay down, quiet, trust. This is your strength. I want you to notice, because the next words are the people's response to this offer. He says rest. He says trust. He says remain silent. Here's what the people said. Verse 16, Isaiah 30. That you said, no, for we will flee on horses. God's response. (laughs) So here's God. Just rest. Trust. Be quiet. Here's me. I think I'm going to ride a horse. (laughs) I'm going to get a really fast horse. (laughs) Listen to God's response. Okay, you want to flee? He goes on. Therefore, you will flee. (laughs) Okay, you're going to go? Go for it. He then says this. No, the people respond, we will ride on swift horses. <laughs> hey God, I know you said quiet, trust, rest. Give up. That's your strength. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to get on a horse, I'm going to get on a fast horse. God says, I want you to run. And then God responds with this. Oh, by the way, you shall flee. Oh, you're going to ride on swift horses? Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Okay, I'm making the ones who are going to chase you even faster. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man, and your whole nation is going to flee at the threat of five. Until you're left as a flag on a mountain and as a signal on a hill. And you know what I get this picture? Here's God saying, Rest. Trust in me. That is your strength. There lies your victory. Lay down. Let me. Here's me. No, God, I got fight. <laughs> I can do it. I can outrun them. I can outfight them. He says, You want to run and fight? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make those who pursue you even faster. And I love the picture. They're going to make you flee until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop, as a signal on a hill. Picture an army chasing you up, no matter how fast your horse is. You're riding up a mountain. They've surrounded you and they're coming up to get you. And you're left as a flag on a mountaintop. What color do you think the flag is going to be? Hopefully white. (laughs) You're going to be left like a signal on a mountain. You know why? God didn't need more spiritual dedication, more commitment, more I'll do, or here's what I promise, Lord, or here's what I'll go, Lord, or I'll fight more, Lord, or I'll pray harder, Lord. Here's what God wanted. Not more commitment, not more dedication. Surrender. That's what He wanted. That's why he goes on to say this in Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. 
Therefore, He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for Him. You see, the people's victory was found not in their ability to fight for God, but rather their ability to rest in Him. Jesus was the Lamb who gave up His Spirit. And I love as we read on in the Scriptures just how many times we're given that very picture. And if no other place better than this, as we're going to lead ourselves into a communion time, um, remember these words in Galatians chapter 2? What does Paul write to that church? He writes this in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. What does He say? I've been, what? Crucified with Christ. If I want to share in the victory and the life of Christ, I have to first learn what it means to share in the cross of Christ. And to share in the cross comes first at that place where I'm willing to give up. Give up my efforts, give up my good intentions, give up all my religious... Sometimes not just the bad, but the seemingly good to share in that. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. What a great reminder today that as we read the Word, He fulfilled all the requirements of the Lamb to make the sacrifice that would bring life. And today, as He gave up His Spirit on our And in the likeness of His death, you'll find the likeness of His life. That I would rest in Him and entrust myself to Him. I think this last week has been a great picture of what happens to man when we entrust ourselves. told me that a sickness was coming, I'd say, yeah, stock up. Get some canned goods. How about a few bullets to shoot a deer if you got hungry? No. Listen. That's the human condition right there. I could buy anything. Toilet paper. Because there's nothing more important in life than that right now. That's the ultimate feeling of...
what's left to me? That's the frantic panic. Right? I was asking someone of the reasons of why people were stocking up or clearing But it's the railway blockages. And some said it's just because everyone else is doing it. Right? And isn't that it? We are striving and trying to save our own selves. What a difference to know that their life is not in their own hands, but they've entrusted themselves to a loving Father. It doesn't mean you're not prudent. It doesn't mean we don't do the right thing and be careful and love each other by doing these things. But we won't save ourselves by ourselves, will we? Interesting to watch as the Prime Minister or President of Sweden was making a national declaration that this day forward, no one in Sweden was to shake hands. It was an elbow bump or a foot shake. And as he gave a solemn and almost desperate declaration to save the nation, what had happened to so many others, he turned around and shook the hand of the man next to him. And all the reporters howled with laughter. And you could see the embarrassment on his face. And then one reporter summarized it by saying, listen, he made a life-threatening announcement to his entire nation and it took him all of nine seconds not to do what he just told everyone else to do. Right? Or there's been highlights of one of the major medical advisors to one of the United States who's giving her same summary that today, never touch your face, don't touch your mouth, don't touch your eyes, don't shake hands, don't do anything. And as she's reading her report, she's doing this. Flipping every page, licking the fingers and turning. We're creatures of habit, aren't we? We're hardwired into habit. And you know what? If it's left to me to fight... I'll never find what I'm looking for. Never find it. Jesus found it and ultimately died in the midst of it. What led him there? When he saw that it was all finished, he said, it is finished. And what? Gave up his spirit. Today as we go out these doors, we'll all be enticed to fight, to do, to be more when finding the true Christian life is found in giving up more, letting go, and allowing God to be our life. That's where you find it. Jesus wasn't going to be buried in the days to come. He was going to be planted. A grain of wheat that was about to bear incredible fruit. And it's summarized for us by Paul in this way. And let me conclude with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. 
so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It'll never be raised unless it's first sown. And you won't sow it unless first you give it up. A farmer has to cast the seed into the ground by faith. Give it up. Until you let it go, you'll never know what can grow. And if you're like me today, maybe the Lord is putting His finger on your heart on some of those things that we need to give up, cast off, let go, and let God. For some, it's our worries of tomorrow. For some of it's our worries of what if. If we can let go. For some it's our own strength and ability to do and be what we think we should be. The moment, the sooner we can cast those off and sow those that it might be raised in glory, sown in weakness, that it be raised in power the sooner we'll see what God can do. What a challenge as we go out these doors. That we're daily, as Paul calls it, caring about us, the dying of our Lord Jesus. Constantly putting to death the things around us. The things that entangle us. The things that define us. But if we share in Christ's cross if we are crucified with Him, if we can actually die in Him, there and then we'll begin to know what it means to live with Him. A lamb died from the foundations of the world so that from there and then we might know not that death, but that life that He offers. What a gift. I'm going to pray and then we're going to lead into communion and uh, as we mentioned, we're going to be serving it to you. I think you can take a cup, but we have some wonderful servers that are going to be handing it out with some tongs that have been blessed <laughs> and uh, all the rest. So we'll look forward to sharing in a symbol that's exactly that. That when we take of the body of Christ... His body was broken, given for one of us. And as we take it and say, we are the body of Christ, what are we declaring? That what unifies us in this room is that we are going to go out and as Christ laid down His life for us, we are going to give up and lay down our lives for one another and this watching world. And as Christ's blood led to victory over death, the crushing of the head of the serpent, so too we're going out into a world where He's given us victory over death. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that we can not only share in the Word, share in these reminders of life, but we can share in this wonderful symbol. A symbol where the substance lies in not what we eat or drink, but in what we do as we go out these doors. Thank You that this communion, this Symbol is a sign to the world that we are unified as a body. A body willing to be used, broken, taken, and made into vessels of a righteous Lord. Forgive me, Lord, where I 
strive, I run, I flee on horses. Trying to be and do what I think for you that you want. When in reality today, my strength is found in rest, in letting go, in quietness, in trust. Thank you that you are faithful to bring us to that place where ultimately we have to surrender and bow that knee and say, yes, Lord, you are my strength. You are my good. You are my all. You are my life. Lead us to that place where we can let go of all of those many things that distract us, that keep us, that stop us from knowing You and experiencing the fullness of You. May we truly know what it means to rest as we place ourselves and trust ourselves and give up ourselves into Your hands today. And for this we give praise to the one Lamb who is worthy, Jesus. In all of this we give thanks. Amen.